Beowulf, lines 1800 to the end. This poem is entertainment, and we have to understand and remember with Beowulf that this style of story arc of a hero who's overcoming adversity and tremendous odds to, to win, in this case, treasure and reap the benefits of his efforts is not unique to us. We watch movies, TV shows, read books, comic books, whatever it might be that we're familiar with. The storytelling here is simple. And while we're seeking out deeper meaning and deeper understanding of some of the smaller details that provide us greater context, it's important that we remember that the entertainment element, the creative element is as strong as some of these larger statements or social commentaries being made that we're trying to find and analyze. So a couple points that we're going to look at, I know we're discussing a lot of this in class, but I want to make sure we have this as a reference for you. As Beowulf leaves the Danes to return back to the Gaet people, gift giving continues to be the highest form of honor as far as giving someone something. Just saying the words isn't enough. It's the lavish gifts that consistently are given to show thanks. This is not unique to us. We know that a way to show your appreciation for somebody is through gift giving. But we need to think about it from this cultural standpoint is this was not an industrial time period. And that the role of gifts were going to be even more precious due to the just a lack of the amount of gifts that you could actually be given. So it's easy for us to get sucked into the, the fact that, yeah, you give someone a gift, it's their birthday or whatever it is. In this case, if someone was going to give someone something, there was more meaning to it because of the scarcity of really tremendously nice objects. And if something was made, it took a lot of great effort. So the gifts are, I think, that level of importance is heightened and we can't take that for granted because there's so much gift giving in this poem that we need to remind ourselves that we're dealing with a very different sort of gift giving and the meaning behind it carries a lot more weight. As Beowulf returns back to the gay people, we get the story basically retold again. And we get a flashback. We get a lot of this sort of retelling of things as readers. We've already seen this in the poem. We saw it firsthand. He's now telling his story again. But while he's telling his story, we have to pay attention to Beowulf's ego. We always have to pay attention to Beowulf's ego. Because as much as we want to project him as this white knight character, it doesn't come with a little bit of a swagger. And we have to remember that with him. There is ego and, and confidence in himself that he is also projecting onto others. The one thing that's very clear that if you're having a conversation with Beowulf or he's speaking to you, he's going to let you know who he is. And who he is is wrapped up in his ego, which is defined by his success, particularly in the battlefield. So he talks about fighting with Grendel and Grendel's mother, he plays up the fact that this story is being told all over the world. And he says, you know, it's hardly a secret anymore among men in this world, myself and Grendel coming to grips 
on the very spot where he visited destruction. And, and this is online 2000 where he's making it clear when his retelling of the story is wrapped up in the fact that what he has done is public information. Nothing he has done happens and just kind of goes by the wayside. Everything he does is going to be celebrated, particularly these incredible battles he has with Grendel and Grendel's mother. So the impact of success on him as we move through this story and think about it is not just the fact that he gets the extra sort of bravado from physically winning. But he starts to build this idea up that there's more to his success, that God has selected him. There's some connection to him and fate that we got to ask ourselves a couple questions here. Beowulf believes that the react the reaction to his thought processes. When he makes a decision to go to battle, he believes the result is going to be predetermined by God. It's going to be God's decision. Fate will decide who wins and loses. But this is the same God that's allowing him to make the decision to put himself in this predicament. So if we explore the idea of free will in the poem of Beowulf, we have to understand that there is an element, at least we're being, it's being portrayed this way, that free will allows the character of Beowulf to make the choice to put himself in harm's way. But the actual result will be God's decision on whether that Beowulf is successful in his endeavors. If we agree with that as the interpretation, it also speaks to a level of Christianity and a lot of people's understanding of Christianity, even today in some ways. If we want to loop that in, that's also a discussion we can have. Now, this might not be a strong suit for me as far as approaching it from this light, but it is an area of thought that we can explore if you want to compare the way Beowulf seems to be using Christianity and the way you believe Christianity works in your daily life or in the lives of general Christians. So as we continue to look at this play, this poem, excuse me, and we learn more about Beowulf, the poem continues to impact us with the fact that Beowulf's success is now part of not just entertainment for others, but the story is now bigger than Beowulf. Beowulf's feats in these victories is, is actually bigger than him personally. He's now a legend and he's living, though. He's a living legend because of what he has done. And we have to remember at this point in time, we're not really sure what Beowulf's going to do next. And we know that he becomes king and we, we don't really have the, the concept of how he becomes king just yet as we move through it. And what ultimately we start to see here is as we learn more about Beowulf, particularly how he becomes king, where he's offered an opportunity to be the king when the king of the Gates dies. And he says, no, I will support the prince. So as much as Beowulf is into his own ego and his success, he still very much believes in tradition. And he honors those traditions by the way he handles the level of power he's offered and what he accepts when he returns back to the Gaia people. And it's only after the prince is killed does he finally assume the throne as king to unify the people. 
it was once he was backed into a corner that it was the best thing for the community when the, the line of secession was cut by someone else's doing that he stepped in to bring back a time of peace or at least a hand that was going to keep his people safe. I think that says a lot about it because as we want to talk about his ego, his ego doesn't drive him to be power hungry. He wants to be celebrated. And the poem makes that very clear. But the fact that he does not take that power and fall into the trap that, okay, now I need to be more than just Beowulf the warrior and that he allows this to come to him somewhat organically shows an attitude of servitude that we need to consistently now look at and view Beowulf with. Who Beowulf is as a character and as a person in this poem, if you look at him as a servant, who yes, he wants to be celebrated and yes, he wants glory, but his actions are centered around the idea of service of others. While there is some benefit to it, I think it's important that we keep that in mind. And where does this idea of these terms of service, is it a Christian belief? Is it a general belief of small communities during the Dark Ages who needed to rely on each other in much bigger bigger ways? Does it speak to this idea of gift-giving again? The fact that we give things, we give ourselves to others is the only way we can provide sort of to show thanks, to show love, whether it's with our gifts or with our abilities and time and energy, is that the best way to show connection? And while this is going on, and the time jump happens, we learn all this stuff, we ultimately see that a dragon now has entered into the mix. And while the dragon, which is, this is a little bit of a nuance, we want to see the dragon as the third monster. But we got to look back and see how the dragon came to be in the position that it's in. A slave is running away from his master. He stumbles upon this lair. He goes in there. He sees the treasure. This slave does. He takes a goblet. And then he goes back to his master. And he believes this goblet will keep him safe because he ran away from his master in the first place. This kind of will stop any feud or punishment that his master might be sending his way. But in doing so, he awakes the dragon. The dragon has been watching this treasure for a long time. The people who this treasure belonged to had been decimated and are no more. And the dragon isn't evil. It's doing what a dragon does. It guards the treasure. It's been disturbed by a slave. It didn't go out of its way. But once it's disturbed, it's now a problem. And as it's burning down Gayet cities or the parts of the village and burns down Beowulf's major establishment, we need to understand that the dragon is just being a dragon. We don't get the sense of evil that we got with Grendel or Grendel's mother. This is, and even with Grendel's mother, she's trying to revenge her son. Or, yeah, we're going to call it her son. So, truly, Grendel, at this point, has been the only monster figure that's been portrayed as evil. And remember, he only got involved with the Danes, because they were having parties all the time at night. So when we talk about good and evil in this text, and we want to set this up in a really basic, these are the bad guys, I don't really necessarily think in this poem we can do that. Because 
all of them, even though we don't see a lighter side of them, the fact that Grendel got involved once he was disturbed, once Grendel's, Grendel passed away, Grendel's mother got involved seeking revenge. If he's seeking revenge, then she at least has to care enough about her son in that way to seek that revenge. Then we flash forward to the dragon. The dragon is disturbed. Now he's wreaking havoc on the gay people, but the dragon's just doing what a dragon would do because it was protecting this treasure. And Beowulf is called all these times. Yes, he has to stop these monsters, but their reasons for their actions are more justifiable than just a clean-cut good and evil conversation. And we need to consider that as we move through this, as the dragon starts to damage Beowulf's people, that he's un- it's, it's in around line uh, 2,330, we're looking at the idea that Beowulf cannot handle, he's not used to losing, unaccustomed to anxiety and gloom. It's been 50 years, remember, between the battle with Grendel's mother and now this dragon. But he still doesn't see the dragon as a threat to him because he believes in his own pride and in his prowess. And that's where we get, again, the flashback to how he becomes king, how he was offered to become king, how he ultimately becomes king. We have this sandwiched between the introduction of the dragon and then the flashback to Beowulf eventually becoming the king in this little quick flashback around uh, lines to uh, 2300 to 2400. When we finally get to Beowulf back in this scene with the dragon, he gives a speech on line 2430 to 2449, which really talks about this idea of saying goodbye. It says he was sad at heart, unsettled yet ready, sensing his death. His fate hovered near, unknowable but certain. Would soon claim his covered, his coffered soul, my bad, part life from limb. Before long, the prince's spirit spin free from his body. So he's feeling like this might be the end. And there's this role of sadness and loss and aging that he discusses around 2440 and the value in loss and time. And he mentions the fact that wisdom of age is worthless to him. He still wants to be that destroyer, that defender. But age has caught up to him. And even though he's still Beowulf, 50 years later, he still he can't be the same person that he wanted to be. He cannot be the, such a dominant force. So as we think about Beowulf's emotional state and the, the role of loss in time, we have to think about motivations. And the fact that his reputation and his legacy matter to him in a way that this dragon represents something more than just the next thing he's got to fight to save his people. It's, a, it's his way to reaffirm the fact that he is still who he wants to be. So as we consider this, we look at motivations and what this world, and one of the things we will look at with this Dark Ages is what does it mean to be helpless in the Dark Ages? What does it mean to be helpless in the world of, in the, in the world of the poem of Beowulf? 
And that role of helplessness that Beowulf feels, remember, this is a poem that consistently has talked about kind of burying your emotions. Feed into the rage. Embrace the rage. Embrace the anger. Don't let yourself be sad. But we are seeing a little bit more of a vulnerable Beowulf during this time period. And while he talks about his success, it's always been something that was something he earned. But these kings have allowed him to be this destroyer. Which is interesting because he, he likes to put that emphasis on other people in their celebration of him. It's the kings that grant him his success. It's God who allows him through the idea of fate to win these fights. And once again, he wants to fight the dragon one-on-one. And around lines 2,500, he talks about how fighting is his purpose. And that he'll fight for glory as we move on towards the middle of the section. And that God will decide his fate. He says, now I am old, but as the king of the people, I shall pursue this fight for the glory of winning. If the evil one will open, no, sorry, if the evil one will only abandon his earth fort and face me in the open. So he's trying to set himself up for success, but he feels like he needs to fight the dragon one-on-one. And when the fight starts, much like the stories we're used to, it's not like Beowulf goes in there and destroys the, ja- the dragon a couple seconds. It's not like that at all. The dragon is beating Beowulf bad. And Beowulf's backed into a corner. His sword fails. His shield is not doing a great job. And at this point, he looks like there's no doubt he's going to lose. And Wheelof steps in. And this is kind of the first time we're introduced to him. He's a respected warrior. And he steps in, and Beowulf had brought these other 11 comrades with him. And while they weren't going to fight, they were there, and they all run. And Wheelof is not going to have it. And he gives a speech to the men as they're watching this. He talks about how it's easy to commit to someone, to honor someone when times are going well. But the moment things get difficult, that's when you're truly tested. It's one thing to say something. It's a whole other different idea to feel it in your heart. And you can say that you're going to be on Beowulf's side. You're going to be there to support him. But when things get difficult, if you bail, that's what's in your heart. It's easy to be committed to something when it's just easy. But when it gets hard, you're truly tested, you got to step up. And he points out he'd rather die than do nothing. And Wilof tells Beowulf to keep fighting. And Beowulf, in this moment, we get some lines about how his reputation and legacy, this is around 2631 and, tw- and through 2676, big section here, how important his reputation and legacy is to him. And as the dragon bites Beowulf, which ultimately is going to lead to his demise as he's poisoned, Wilof is able to help Beowulf, and Beowulf ultimately slays the dragon. But in doing so, we know that this is going to be the end of Beowulf. Beowulf.
the dragon is killed. And Beowulf asks in a, in a pretty poignant section on lines 27, 24 through 27, 50. He reflects on his time as a king and a leader. And he points out that he doesn't have a son to pass his legacy on to. Imagine he can't pass his armor down. He requests to see the treasure. And he believes that will help ease his pain and death. And Wheelof at this point is, is being elevated. He's not the heir to the throne, but in some ways it's very clear that he might be the next guy. When we get to Beowulf's final words, lines 28.12 to 28.17, His direct quote is directed at Wheelof. And he says that you're the last of us. And I like this idea that Beowulf sees himself as a type of person who is unique. I think it's it's interesting. And, and I think it's good that people see themselves as unique. Because a lot of us feel looped in and grouped in into like a larger group of people that sometimes makes people feel very small. Beowulf doesn't have that. And he sees that in, we- in, in Wheelof. And as he gives the directions for his funeral and all that, it's interesting, and that's got importance to it. But as he passes away, his legacy in a lot of ways is passed on to Wheelof. And it's pointed out that his death, as we move towards the, the final sections of this poem, is going to bring about a tremendous disruption to life in this era. When the men return to see the treasure, Wheelof gets after these guys and says that things have completely changed and you know in your heart how you acted. The men had a chance to help and now must face the punishment of Beowulf's death. And what will follow. And life will never be the same. You cannot go back to your family the same way now that you know in your heart that you didn't help Beowulf as well as the fact that you ran. And by the time we get to around line 3000, we're talking about Wheelof saying that, listen, there's going to be wars, the Swedes are looming, and this feud's going to start again. And by the time we move forward, the tragic future awaits That's how much Beowulf was important to these people, what he represented. There was safety in what Beowulf represented. The final two points I want to talk about, one's on lines uh, 3076 to 3086, where we start to talk about this idea. Let me flip to it. About Beowulf... And we lost thoughts on Beowulf with the lines, often when one man follows his own will, it may hurt others. I think it's important that it's, it's easy to interpret that as selfish. To the quote, often when one man follows his own will, many are hurt. This happened to us. Nothing we advise could ever convince the prince we loved our land's guardian, not to vex the custodian of the gold. So as we goes on, this idea that Beowulf did what he thought was right for Beowulf. 
But what was right for Beowulf might not have been right for his people. So this is a complicated statement. I don't think we're to demean Beowulf for these thoughts. But it does speak to who he was. And also we need to analyze, is Beowulf, is this a different Beowulf than the Beowulf we saw at the beginning of the novel? Or the play, excuse me, or the poem. I'll get this right at some point. So if this is a different Beowulf, or is this a Beowulf holding on to this is my last ride sort of scenario, sort of attitude? It's complicated. How do men age? How do people age? Do we see the aging of men differently than we view the aging of women? Are we applying aging in the sense of how we look at it today's world than we'd look at the dark ages? Obviously, life expectancy is very, very different. But should we view Beowulf the same way we viewed him when he fights Grendel as his decision-making process when he's now fighting the dragon? It's, it's an interesting idea as we look at this because if we are to look at him as just the same person who never evolves, does that ultimately lead to his demise? Is that part of why he loses? And also part of his willingness to lose. That, you know, as it said earlier in the poem, there's no greater honor than dying on the battlefield. That's basically said multiple times. It's worded differently. I know I'm paraphrasing. But if that's true, if that's what we're really, really talking about, then Beowulf was making a decision for Beowulf, not talking about or thinking about what this would mean if he, if he died. His legacy and reputation is more important than that of being the leader of people, which also might speak to the fact that from a leadership standpoint, Beowulf, remember, was reluctant to be a leader at first because it was bloodline, but once that was settled, he stepped into the role but reluctant leadership is sometimes not exactly strong leadership. And while we know the fact that people didn't mess with them and he was a leader of his people and they said he was a good king, that's a direct quote from one of the lines of the poem, maybe this spoke to more of what was in his heart. Overall, the poem's got a lot of layers to it. If you just read it like a straight-up action story, you can. If that helps you understand it, fantastic. There's a lot of ways to analyze this poem and, and things that did not cover in the podcast that we can go over in class. But I want you to think about this idea of aging. I want you to think about this concept of are we looking at the same Beowulf in the beginning of this poem and the end? Would we see that as a bad thing? What are we to make of Wheelof's entry into the end of the poem. What does he represent more? Does he represent a future? Are we to look at the fact that the moment Beowulf passes away, that violence is now looming for control and power? And that what is the power of the memory of Beowulf for the Gaet people? Is that something they can rely on as inspiration? And does his legacy, was it worth him dying to strengthen his legacy with his battle with the dragon? Was the legacy more important than having him physically alive, continuing to rule the people? We'll continue to discuss this poem over the next couple of days. Well, you know, we know we have papers coming up on it 
But I want us to make sure that we can look at this in a variety of ways and what you get out of it. If all you want to do with this poem is look at it like an action story, you can do that. You can get a lot out of it. But there's some nuance to it that I want you to pick up on and think about and consider it because there's some big questions being asked. And I hope you can explore some of the answers.